it's Wednesday afternoon here in Boulder, which means it must be time for the Howell Stern Sports Show. We've had probably the most interesting week of the season sports-wise. I, I can't even remember the last time, Chase, I had an interesting week that was this interesting in general. You're right. Basketball started. Yeah, basketball started. That, Mike McIntyre. Oh, that's were, what you're talking about? Yeah. McIntyre. McIntyre. They were, all right. Oh, that happened let too? Let, let me clarify. <laughs> Mike McIntyre, there were reports leaked earlier this week that he would be leaving Boulder at season's end. And that was kind of the big rumor that was swirling around town. We have a lot of interesting coverage on that. Basketball season tipped off. The Buffs had a great night last night defeating Drake 100-71. to We'll get into that. And then we'll, we'll be talking a lot of football today, um, recapping the game against Washington State and looking at Utah. Looking ahead to Utah, so we have a ton of coverage, and you won't want to miss a second of it. But we'll start, actually, with high school football as we have be began the show the past few weeks. Fairview lost in the playoffs to Thunder Ridge. Am I allowed to cheer for my You're, you're allowed to cheer. I want to see you cheer. I want to see you cheer. <laughs> Let's and go, you can, Grizzlies. You can get into it. You can <laughs> clap by the mic. You can do anything that you want, Chase, to cheer. I'm proud to be a TR Grizzly. I'll there, just put there, it that there, way. There you go. Do you guys have a school chair too? Or we have a fight song. I oh, I, but I it's basically off of the Michigan fight song, so I don't oh, want to sing it's, that. It's a bootleg one. Oh, that's I, I, I hate. Hail to the that. victors! I hate hearing that. Anyway, they they had a huge victory, thirty to thirteen. Aiden Atkinson, in other big news, committed to the Northwestern Wildcats. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about that the past few weeks, and it seems like school was really a priority for him. He didn't want to just go to a place where he was going to play football and that's it. You know what I mean? He wanted a world-class education. Northwestern, of course, is one of the top business schools in the country. And since that's what he's looking to study, that was a big factor into his decision. This is a well-rounded young man, and I wish him the best of luck wherever he goes. And not to mention they won the Big Ten West as well, so it's a good football program as well. It's Everything that Aiden Atkinson could have wanted in a football program, you got academics, a really good football team, and then he had a really good relationship with Mick McCall there, the quarterback and coach and offensive coordinator. Uh, he's McCall went to Molin, actually, so he's a Colorado kid. He was able to build a nice relationship with Aiden Atkinson and ended up getting the commitment. I don't really see Atkinson wavering in this at all. He's not into the recruiting scene as we've covered here. So he's kind of one of those guys that just wanted to get it over with, and I can see why, because he found a really good fit in Northwestern. Obviously, it's going to depend on how he fares in fall camp, which is still about a year from now for Atkinson, but is this a guy that you think could potentially start right away, and do you think he's going to struggle a little bit at first? Because, you know, as, as much as we hate to admit it, Colorado kind of has a reputation of having high school football that's not as good as other places like Florida, Texas, California. You know, it's kind of seen as a little brother in a sense. So do you think he maybe struggles in transitioning with the level of talent? We'll see. That, that'll be in about 18 months. He, yeah. he has to play his senior year at Fairview first, and then he will go to Northwestern. I, I know that Northwestern got a transfer last year from Clemson, a pretty good quarterback. So that'll probably be Aiden, Aiden's biggest competition once he arrives on campus. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. He, I think he has a few things he needs to work on, develop a little bit. One of them is getting out of the pocket. I don't think he throws very well outside the pocket, and I think he needs to work on his release a little bit make it a little bit quicker. Yeah, and I think the quarterback coach is going to depend on a lot of that. Um, you're, you're definitely right that making throws outside the pocket is especially important. 
um, mainly in college football because NFL, we see a lot more pure pocket passers. But in terms of buying time, which is a much more important, if you will, at the collegiate level, I think that's huge. But anyway, moving on to the sport that is being played here at the University of Colorado. Well, the team that plays here at the University of Colorado, we were talking about football, but Tuesday morning, I want to hear your story on this too. I'm going to tell mine first. I woke up, I turn, I, I, I keep my phone on airplane mode when I sleep. I'm a guy, when I, when I have free time, I like to sometimes not be disturbed, okay? Is that fair? I turn my phone off airplane mode and all of a sudden, I get all these notifications flying up on my screen, and I, I am completely overwhelmed. I mean, I, I consider myself a popular guy, but I don't, I don't usually get that many notifications. And I learned that Mike McIntyre... Or, I consider myself a popular guy. I, I, nice I, humble brag there, Jack. I, 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 that, I'm, I'm just saying, I, I get a lot of messages. There's a lot of people looking for me, but getting that many messages and learning about the news in that regard was just shocking to be honest with you, because um, there was a story leaked by ABC that said Mike McIntyre would be leaving at the end of the season and that the school had agreed to mutually part ways. This is just hours, mind you, before Chase and I have to go into a press conference which featured about three, two to three times as many local media's as members as a typical one. Yeah, definitely two to three. Uh, similar story to you, I found out on the night before, actually Monday night when the news was released, and I didn't really know how to react to it because there were a couple things that have been well documented that were uh, illegit made it illegitimized the report. First yeah. of all, the news anchor that tweeted it out spelled Mac Mike McIntyre's name wrong. He spelled it Mike McIntyre without the A in his last name, which just ruins his, his credibility is really what it does. And then you get into the story that was written 15, 20 minutes after that, and they... <laughs> only put two scores in the entire story and they got both scores wrong i know what like what what is that Are, do they care about fact checking now or do they get a big head is these hot shot anchors where they don't have to do that uh, i think you're looking at what happens when a tv outlet reports the news you, they don't have editors there that are fact checking everything and that that no. kind of stuff and that's kind of what journalism is in 2018 we can't afford to pay editors anymore so there are way too many mistakes that are made but i think it just ruins your credibility so it was really tough to believe and it almost still is tough to believe if we weren't hearing other rumors swirling around as well now i want to talk about how credible and how accurate you think this rumor is i've heard from a couple of people in the situation that there was a meeting on monday evening between the two sides monday afternoon rather and at the end of the meeting they came to the conclusion that they would part ways at the end of the season. That's, that's what I heard from two people inside the program. Now, it's, see, it's, it's kind of hard to judge whether what actually did go on because there's so many people saying so many different things. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's what actually happened or something else did. But either way, I mean, this is, this is huge news and a big thing. And I, I have trouble believing that it actually got leaked out to a major outlet. I don't know. I think it could have happened, but I would love to know who that source is. Yeah, someone's not telling the truth around here, whether that's Coach McIntyre, that's the source that they got it from, or the actual Channel 7. And I, I do trust Channel 7 because they have Troy Rank, who was uh, a co-author of that story. They had two different names on the byline. And he covered the Rockies here forever, Denver Post. He's a CU grad. He has 
always had lots of connections inside CU. So I don't really doubt that he has sources. He doesn't cover the team every day or really ever. I've seen him a few times in my days covering CU, and that's usually on the bigger days, like a, like a media day or something like that. And um, so I believe him, but I'm not sure if his sources were exactly correct. I still wonder who, who that is. Yeah, that that's, it, cause that's where I'm at right now. I really don't know how many people know about this situation. It seems like it was kept under wraps by Rick George, and so yeah. I'd be surprised to see that they had two different sources that told him this news. And then obviously Coach McIntyre said in his press conference that uh, he hadn't spoken to Rick George about his job in over two weeks. And two weeks ago, he gave him 100% confidence. So was that a lie? I, I don't really know. But I thought that McIntyre seemed very relaxed, kind, sort of genuine in his press conference. Like he didn't. <sighs> it's, it's, it's so hard to tell nowadays. I feel like he just puts on this face like with the media every right. time. He was telling before, before the press conference even started, I was kind of sketched out. And we'll talk a little bit about the press conference and what unfolded there. I was a little bit in doubt with how he was kind of trying to hype up Mark Kisla. Like when the, the they, they stream the press conferences live and one of the people who's in charge of doing the live stream was having trouble connecting the network. And he's like, you run the stadium. Sta-. McIntyre said to him, you run the stadium stairs faster than you get the stream up. And then he turned to Mark Kisla and he said, Mark, I think you're probably the one who could the only one in this room who could run it faster than him. It seemed like he put an em- extra emphasis on ponying up, if you will, to Mark Kisla to try to get him to ease up on him, which obviously didn't work. But either way, it seemed like his demeanor was completely in defense mode and trying to stomp out this rumor. And given that the university has communications directors helping them with everything, I think I, I don't believe everything he said. We, we've seen McIntyre rattled before, and that was not what he looked like at, during Tuesday press conferences. Usually yeah. when he's rattled, he's, he has a difficulty getting words out of his mouth. He says, I'm a lot. These types of things. And that one was just relaxed. Like he was very well prepared on what he was going to say that day. There's no doubt about it, whether that was through the SID that helped him out, got him prepared, or if it was just him thinking about it all night. Because he had said that um, the way that he found out about this news story was that his son, Johnston McIntyre, had called him the night before. So I'm sure McIntyre didn't sleep at all that night, and he was just thinking about what he was going to say to his team and what he was going to say to the media. And I think both of them kind of worked out for him. He was able to spin it well. Now let me rephrase an earlier point. I trust Troy's sources. They're a very reputable news outlet. I just, I would just love to know who it is, to be honest with you, at this point. Who the leaker is? Who the, who the leaker is. I talked to one person who works, who sits on the Board of Regents who told me that they were going to vote the Board of Regents was going to vote later this week to decide, and they were going to have a discussion about it internally. But I haven't heard anything about definitive news, so I'd, I just have to wonder who it is at this point. Is it someone on the football team? Is there someone who is, who is it, you know, I don't want to... It's wanna, not the football team. I, they, I don't want, they don't know what's going yeah, on. I don't, don't want to use, use mafia terms here, but was there like a mole in the, in the situation, like someone who leaked, you know, who internally who leaked it, or was it, was it like... A, it could have also been McIntyre's agent. It could have been outside. Yeah. Or like, was it secondhand situation. information? Was it someone who told someone who told someone? Right. And you that's what kind I mean? of what um, my boss, Adam Munster-Tager, said earlier is when in these situations, you start playing a game of telephone. And by the time it gets to the last person, the, the words could obviously be a little bit mixed up. And, and so the full truth doesn't get out. Yeah. And, and that could have been 
part of the situation here was that some people were just talking like, yeah, he's probably gone by the end of the season. And then that ends up turning into he is gone at the end of the season. And that's yeah. how you get into one of these situations. Yeah, I, I, I would have to agree with you there. I think there's definitely a game of telephone, especially with all these reporters hearing so many different things, right? You know, Brian Howell, who works with the Daily Camera, here's one thing. He reports, you know, it's just a lot of people saying a lot of different things. And it's hard to figure out who's right and who's wrong in this situation. But his demeanor during the press conference, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that by a head coach. He walks into the room holding a photo that's covered with bubble wrap and he he shows it to the media and he declares i'm going to give you guys a media lesson or i'm going to give you guys a history lesson which i mean i didn't know i didn't know mcintyre was mike leach now i didn't know he was a history i knew something was up right when he walked in with that frame i I had to tweet it out i knew something was i I don't know if you if you felt the same way but i felt like you could slice the tension in that room with a (laughs) knife i mean it was i I felt it the second he Mm -hmm. walked in i I felt that Pretty much the whole time, though. Even with Montez, it seemed like there was some tension. Even with the yeah. players that went before him, like they, those guys weren't used to this type of situation where you have a packed house of media members just bombarding you with questions about a coaching situation when those guys just want to talk about uh, who they're playing this week in Utah, and they weren't able to, and you could kind of see the frustration on their faces. Now, McIntyre walks into the press conference with a photo and shows it to the media and says, this is a buffalo. They walk into it's very random information that, I mean, it got factually confirmed by news outlets everywhere because, you know, everyone <laughs> there, has there to is con- some, yeah. some confirmed reports yeah, that, that you the have buffalo to does, it. in fact, walk into yeah. the storm. There, there was buffaloes walking into a storm in Oklahoma. I at, saw that. And it today, got confirmed. Yeah. yeah. It was but anyway, he said, out. this is the buffalo. It walks into the storm and they walk together. And then he said, I told my team that we've had a little bit of a storm swirling around, but we're going to get through it together. And then he starts going on a rant about all he's accomplished in his coaching career. And, you know, he kind of. Yeah, that part was weird. The part where he said that this place was in one of the worst positions in college football and that San Jose State was the biggest dumpster fire in college football when he got there. Yeah. That was a little bit too much pumping your tires for me. I I don't know about you, Chase, but to me, he seemed like that kid who does everything to distract the teacher from giving out the homework in (laughs) in middle and high school. You know what I mean? It's like he kept trying to steer off the topic of the reports. And then in a weird turn of events he said there's no source there's an anonymous source and then he called that gutless two things coach mac anonymous sources are very common in this industry right, right. it's it's it's, it's, it's the way you get scoops. it's kind of a common standard or you know a commonality an unwritten rule that you don't give away your sources i mean it's just the way it is i don't know how else to frame it so that part of it wasn't weird at all second of all he's calling these a news outlet that covers the team gutless what type of media attention do you think that's going to draw to you in the future, you know, for the next few games, especially if they lose A? And B, there's been some immoral, I'm not going to get into detail, but there's, over the past few years, there's been a couple immoral things, events transpire internally. So I didn't think that was exactly the right phrasing for him to use. McIntyre isn't necessarily the perfect guy to call someone else gutless. Yeah, I think that's the best, best way to put it, especially what happened this past weekend with all of the punting it on fourth down. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get into the actual game stuff in a right, little bit. Right, that was but, a little tease. For but the obviously future. we have to cover everything. Chase Howell, by the way, wrote an excellent article about the lack of aggression on Saturday for anyone who got, wants to go on Twitter and read it. Excellent story. It's posted on Buff Stampede. But anyway, I've never... 
I've never seen anything like that at a press conference. And I think part of him kind of knew the writing was on the wall, so to speak. You know what I mean? It seemed like he was acknowledging, he was summarizing and looking back and reflecting on his time at CU. And for anyone who happened to be watching the press conference, he was potentially campaigning for another job. So I think that although he kind of tried to dodge things unintentionally or whatever, he kind of released what actually was going on internally to the rest of the media. Yeah, it definitely looked like he was trying to put out his own narrative in a way and trying to do it from his point of view that he's the one that came into this place when it was as bad as it could be and he was the one that did everything to turn it around and he's the reason why they're currently sitting at 5-5. Five and five. So it, it was a very interesting press conference, something that I've never been a part of before and probably won't experience anything like that again. I've never had a coach have the same talk with his players as he does with the media. Very strange. Very strange. I mean, who knows if it was actually the same talk? No, I I, but, I confirmed it with quite oh, a few players that, okay. that that was the talk, the exact talk that he gave him. He brought in the framed photo and that's what he told him. And he's and he also said that if they were winning, there wouldn't be any noise. But now that they're I, I agree with that, but it's, I mean, it's that that's the type of industry that he works in. You're going to get criticism when you lose football. I mean, it's just kind of the way it is. But let me note in the situation, I think the strangest part of it was not that he brought a photo in. It was the fact that he took a photo off the wall of his office. He didn't he didn't go to a thrift shop or some, you know, take it from home and pretend he just bought it. No, he took it off the wall of his office. Any player who goes in there to meet with him sees the photo. Why is it? It's just very as as you unravel the more layers of the situation, it just continues to get stranger. What what good does taking a photo off the wall of your office do for? And I mean, it's just a weird, weird look. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> it's like it's like giving it's like giving a younger cousin hand me down. I mean, it's a little bit off, but giving a younger cousin hand me down clothes for Christmas while we're in the holiday spirit. I think it would have been better if like he showed the team what buffaloes do in a storm rather than some picture of a buffalo with snow on his face. Like the whole metaphor didn't really make sense, but yeah. He, he talked it into existence. Either way, the whole, the whole situation completely blew up on the internet. I mean, there were memes all over the place. Uh, a lot of them from a good friend of the show, Jake Shapiro, he posted a bunch of memes saying it was 31-7. Like, he would replace what was on the sign and write it was 31-7. There was eight injured players. I mean, it was, it was nonstop. There was even one meme that showed uh, George Constanza from Seinfeld wrapped in a towel, which I thought was hysterical. <laughs> I fell off my couch laughing at it. But nonetheless, Less, do you think this is a distraction for the team? Here's my take. I think losing is already bad enough. But having hearing all this noise, look, McIntyre can go say whatever he wants. But the truth is the truth. The news is the news. It got out there. The fact that I got a, it got out there, I think, is disturbing to the players. I think it's a distraction. I don't think it ends their season. I don't think it may, forces them to completely lose focus, but I just think it's distracting. You know what I mean? The seniors, everyone on the team is obviously preparing for the next game, but just having this in the background, I, it, you can't avoid it. Let me just put it that way. It's a pretty obvious distraction, and I think um, that's probably what the CU football team and, and the staff in particular was pr most uh, pissed about when it comes to this situation is that every single player is going to have to be asked about it that talks to the media and all of that stuff. So, yeah, it's an obvious distraction, but these guys know that 
they're here to play football and they know how to prepare for a football game. And once they get into the football game, you know they're not going to be thinking about McIntyre's job situation. Absolutely not, especially so, in college football where you're, pl- you're really playing to showcase your skill set. The media likes to paint this big picture that it, it will be a huge distraction, but really it's a distraction for now. Once you get to Saturday, it's not. And they're still going to prepare the same way, and once they get in the game, they won't be thinking about it. But, yeah, right now they don't like answering all of those questions for sure. Absolutely not. But moving on now to what happened in the game last weekend, we're going to keep it between the, line for the lines for the next two segments where we recap the game against Washington State. Look ahead to Utah. Later on, we'll talk men's basketball. Uh, we're not going to talk some coaching candidates? We'll, we will talk coaching candidates as well. We'll squeeze that between football and basketball. And we'll talk a little bit about the KU coaching search because it's very relevant to see you, it's a little bit of a domino effect, maybe, if you will, in terms of who they're going to hire as their head coach. Some interesting names being thrown around the uh, being thrown around the past few days. But anyway, see, Colorado had their chances last weekend, but ultimately the scoreboard would not indicate that they lost 31-7 to the eighth-ranked team in the country, the Washington State Cougars. And I think what was really Look, I'll, I'll, I'll look at this game from two angles. And first, we'll look at it from an offensive angle. They had minus one run by Trayvon McMillan for 64 yards in this be, uh, beginning of the second or end of the first quarter. 233 yards of total offense. And excluding LaVisca Chenault, Steven Montez only had 97 passing yards, which is abysmal no matter how you look at it, especially considering the targets he has. But... They struggled to get an identity going on offense. They played pretty well for most of the game on defense, but eventually the roof came crashing down when the offense was unable to match their intensity, and they kind of let off, took their foot off the gas a little bit later in the game. Let's start with the offense. They need to find a rhythm, and I think Darren. it really starts upstairs with Darren Shiverini, who needs to do a better job adapting in-game. He has some creative ideas. I like some of the plays he has, but... When certain plays are not working, I think he needs to understand that he should put them in his back pocket and move on to something else. Or he needs to have a greater variety of plays in his initial game plan to prepare for anything that could happen. Yeah, I, I almost think like the your second point is the bigger problem because we've seen these defenses play a defense that didn't show up on tape both the last two weeks. Arizona in particular, they played a ton of zone against CU, and that really bothered Montez and Coach Chev, and they didn't have any adjustments for it because they were ready for man defense the entire game. And I think that's kind of been the problem is they prepare for this certain defense, and they have, you're right, this grouping of plays that they practice all week, and those plays end up not working because – the team because of this little cat and mouse game that both teams play. And so I think that's part of the problem. The main problem this past Saturday, though, was third down efficiency. That was just terrible. Yeah. And two, and part of it was Coach Chev play calling. He ran two wide receiver screens on like third and eight that ended up getting se- six or seven yards. And now you got a fourth down and one or two situation, and they had to punt because you know McIntyre's not going to go for it in that situation it, it just seemed kind of kind of silly these third down calls and nothing was working I think they were what one for t- 11 on third down I think it was like two for 13 something two. in that neighborhood yeah so 
yeah, they that was the biggest problem on Saturday. They couldn't figure out how to get a third get a third down conversion. Part of that is the offensive line. Part of that was them being worried that Montez isn't able to drop back, make a read, and make a throw. He doesn't have that amount of time on, on a longer third down, which is an obvious problem, but you got to figure something out, right? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, it's just Shiverini, and let me make the contrast between the two here. Shiverini, he likes these quirky little plays where you can get chunks of yards, and he's aggressive in that sense, but he also doesn't take that many shots down the field, which is puzzling for me. Um, and McIntyre on the sidelines is about as conservative as it goes in terms of not going for a fourth down. Uh, two instances that come to mind, they're at the 49-yard line, a yard short of midfield, and he opts to punt. They're down three at this point of the game. I mean, I understand it's a still a one-score game, but at the same time, when you have an opportunity to do something big to make a fourth down, what I'm trying to say is when you're the underdog, you have to play like you have nothing to lose. Right. You know what I mean? And McIntyre was not doing that. They Later in the game, they're down two scores at this point. 17-7 at the, 35, at the Washington State 35-yard line on a 4th and 11. He punts it. I don't think I've ever seen a team punt that far down the field ever in my life. Not in that type of situation where you're down 10 late in the third quarter. It was puzzling. It, it, we couldn't figure it out in the press box Yeah, why I, he just kept punting the ball. And uh, part of the problem is just McIntyre doesn't feel confident in this football team is what it looks like. And but think the, about what, kind, what type of message it. that sends. Right. The players feel it, and they play with a lot less confidence. He played that game like they're playing UCLA in the beginning of the season, not playing the number eight team in the country at home in a game that you, if you win, it could drastically change your job security. If you yeah. lose, you're probably gone. So I don't understand why you don't play a little bit more aggressive, especially on the thirty on the Washington State thirty-six yard line. It, it's insane. Fourth and eleven. I mean, look, I understood the rationale after the game. He said that he wanted to pin them inside the ten. The defense was playing well, but listen, if they, your defense is playing well, they would do a fine job of giving the ball back to him on their own thirty-six yard line. That's a that's a good point. And the second point I want to make is on the second play of the ensuing Washington State drive, there was a 48-yard catch and run by Desmond Patton, which pretty much negated that entire sequence by McIntyre and set up Wazoo. Right. It was double the punt. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it was it was just a bad sequence of events for the current uh, Buffs head coach, who seems to be a sitting duck at this point. To be completely honest with you, but. Going back to the offense, I just think that you need to try to go for it a little bit more. You need to be aggressive in this in these types of situations because these teams are not going to sit back and make a mistake or wait for you to be aggressive. You know, they're going to put points on the scoreboard and it's going to you're going to be in an even larger hole. So, I especially just, Washington State yeah. who you you would fear would score every time they touch the ball because their offense is that explosive with Gardner Minshew and Mike Leach calling the plays. I don't know why your game plan that entire time is not be as aggressive as possible because that's the only way you're going to beat them. And you got to give some credit to Washington State here. Their defense played outstanding. Jihad Woods and Peyton Pallor in the middle, their two linebackers, played maybe the best game of their collegiate career. And they're a good team. I think they have a shot at squeezing into the college football playoff. They're going to need a lot of help. But nonetheless, I think they're a cut above everybody else in the Pac-12 right now. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, I don't think we've seen a team, especially in Boulder, 
that is that good. And I don't think Washington is very good this year. We'll see about that Apple Cup game. I know it's in Pullman this year, so that definitely gives Washington State the advantage. But Washington State's been rolling so much that you know it might be about time that Washington knocks them off. But those two, and then Utah a little bit, obviously not anymore with Zach Moss and Huntley being hurt. We'll but get to we'll get to them before in a the, before that. I think those were the top three in the conference. All oh. the rest are just. A step below. Yeah, easily. I thought Utah was going to win the Pac-12 before the injury. I don't think so anymore. I think they'll make the championship game, but I don't think they'll get there. Anyway, the defense looked great on Saturday. They held Gardner Minshew to 35 for 58 passing, which included 23 uh, incompletions, as you heard in the stat line, which was the most incompletions he threw this season. I really think they did a good job containing him. A guy they struggled to stop and kind of came back to bite them in a sense, Max Borgie. 72 yards on 10 touches, uh, both rushing and coming out of the backfield, and he had a nice little explosive 22-yard touchdown run where he juked out two defenders, first Drew Lewis and then um, Dante Wigley in the end zone. I, I I mean, it was on display. On Borgie wanted to show the Buffs what they missed out on. Yeah, you, you kind of could could see that one coming. That Borgie was going to have a really good game just because he's coming back home against a team that he was already committed to, and then decommitted to go to Washington State. And it's not like he didn't want to go to CU. The, the problem was that CU ended up recruiting too many running backs, and Borgie was like, "All right, I'll go here, and I'll end up getting a ton of playing time." So, yeah, I kind of saw that one coming. And an interesting story, though, is so Coach Chev has to come down from the press box after the games. And as he was walking down the stands onto the field, the entire Washington State crowd starts chanting, Borgi, Borgi, Borgi. And Coach Chev had to walk all the way down, all the way across the field and into the other side where CU is while the entire Washington State crowd was chanting Borgie. walk of shame right there. And, and you got to know that it, it's Chevrini's fault, the reason why Max Borgie isn't here. Chevrini wanted to recruit a couple of Texas running backs. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't even Darian Hagan. Darian Hagan really liked Borgie. So I think Chev deserved every bit of that. Oh, yeah. I mean, but it's it's just hard. I mean, I, I think he deserves the criticism. But when hindsight is twenty twenty, it's always just a little bit tougher to jump on the guys. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's just. And we'll see. We haven't seen the running backs that CU recruited yet. Yeah, both of them are redshirting Jarek Broussard and Deion Smith. So yeah. that, that could definitely change things when we're comparing Borgie and these guys down the road. Yeah, and if Alex Fontenot really comes into his own next year, I'm actually hoping that he gets maybe a couple more touches late this season to get him ready because right now he seems like he's going to be the lead back for the buffs, but the second I would like to see a lot of the young running backs, yeah. Deion Smith, Jarek Broussard included, because, well, Jarek Broussard's been hurt. I get, I don't know if he's going to be healthy enough to play, but I think you could see Deion Smith because you can still redshirt these guys and play them, and we haven't seen them at all this year. And if you lose to Utah and you're only playing for a bottom-tier bowl game, at best, if you even reach it, because something like 67 teams are one win of in with uh, one win within bowl eligible, you know, for qualifying for bowl eligibility, and there's only like 40 bowls, so there's going to be a couple people who get left out. At that point, I might stick. Smith in, see what he can do, see if he's going to be the future here. But nonetheless, I was really impressed with the way the secondary plays played. Right, yeah. Weekend. You know, Mike Leach and the Air Raid, they, they, they have a reputation for putting 
a lot of yards up on teams. And, you know, while Minshew had 335 passing yards, which on the stat sheet looks really good, I think they did a pretty nice job of containing him for most of the day. I mean, that's not something you see a whole lot with a quarterback of that caliber. They went in with the perfect game plan. Credit to Shadon Brown. And I had said on this radio show a, a week ago that they need to play a lot of zone. They ended up throwing three safeties out there, four even if you count Davion Taylor, who's obviously a hybrid. They had Aaron Maddox, Darren Rakestraw, and Nick Fisher out there at the same time for, for the majority of the game. And they ended up playing a lot of zone with three safeties. And Gardner Minshew just couldn't find his spots. He had plenty of time to sit back there. I mean, that oh, was he, pretty. I could, I could have baked. <laughs> I could have made breakfast with all the time he had in the pocket. But that's another story. <laughs> it was pretty funny to watch because we've never seen that here at CU, especially in my time here. A quarterback is able to drop back, basically stand there, look, go through every single one of his progressions, back through his progressions, and try to find a guy. It was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun to watch. But Minshew wasn't able to find as many holes as I kind of expected. Yeah, not, yeah, not at all. And it's kind of puzzling that they got torched in one half by Jake Luton, who, ha- who had like five touchdowns coming into the game and three and a half against CU, but were did an excellent job against Gardner Minshew. I, I guess some of that can be chalked up to game planning and week-to-week adjustments, which it seems like the defensive staff has done a really good job of doing at least last week. Um, but looking ahead to Utah, I mean, this is going to be a tough matchup no matter, how, no matter what's happened to them in the past week. I think hurting, losing Tyler Huntley, and who, who is their star quarterback, really came into his own this year. And Zach Moss, who is their bell cow of a back, I think he was probably going to come out after this year and declare for the draft. Losing both of them for the rest of the year hurts. But listen, this is a really, really well-coached team. Coach Whittingham has done a great job. Um, He has a reputation for being one of the best coaches in the Pac-12. Rightfully so, in my opinion. And last week, they were able to pull off a win against Oregon at home, which is is huge because, you know, you're facing off against Justin Herbert. And Jason Shelley and Armand Shine, who replaced Huntley and Moss, respectively, look pretty good. Shine had 176 yards on the ground. It didn't even seem like they missed Moss. And... The thing that's good about, you know, obviously it's never good to see a quarterback get hurt, but or anyone get hurt for that matter. But the thing that's nice about the system that Utah runs offensively is it's very simple. You know what I mean? And there's not a there's not a whole lot of change or diversity. You're not shaping it for the quarterback. You know what I mean? There's a lot of RPOs, a lot of bubble screens, handoffs, these quick slants. You know, it's a, it's a lot of different, very, you know, straightforward types of things. And I think that's something that's really benefited Shelly from, you know, being able to transition in just a week into playing. But I know that things are swirling around Boulder and, you know, there's been a, it's been a tough week for the team, but I think they can pull this one off. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, a lot to cover there. We will see if they can energize if this if everything that has happened this week can sort of energize the football team they rally around each other then yeah I could see them having a chance but Utah is so well coached and they're so good in the trenches both offensive line and defensive line and that's obviously where CU struggles quite a bit not as much defensive line this year but in in past years and I just. I don't think that CU has the personnel to be able to beat Utah. We will see if 
they're able to game plan properly, and if these new running back and the new quarterback, Shelley, if they're able to struggle a little bit, then I think that could keep CU into the game. But I think CU would have to dial something up to make them struggle a little bit. Just of note, we get to see one of my favorite players in college football, Britton Covey. Love he, that guy. He is so much fun to watch and a really good receiver. I also saw on the stat sheet that he's three for three throwing the ball, so they might want to use him as a quarterback a little bit this weekend as well. But he is a tough son of a gun and a very good football player. I'm excited to watch him. Here's where I stand on the situation. I think what worries me is that CU has, like we talked about earlier in the show, done a bad job adapting offensively when things don't go their way. And I think Utah is a better team defensively than Washington State. Mm-hmm. That's concerning. They have, Very much so, yeah. They have perhaps the best defensive player in the conference and maybe even top five in the country in Chase Hansen. He's Chase. had Chase... Stay, stay, stay. Look, you guys share initials. I, I, I like it. C, the CH initials. But anyway, yeah, I just think they're a really good team defensively. I think they can win on that side of the ball just as long as they don't turn it over. Shelly, I went back and watched some of the tape earlier. He made some risky throws, but, mm-hmm. you know, that's something CU is going to need to take advantage of, that you have a guy, a redshirt freshman out there who's making his second career start. Inevitably, he'll probably make a couple of mistakes, but when he does, you can't drop the ball. When a f- when someone fumbles, you have to dive on top of it. You know, you really have to capitalize on every miscue possible to have a chance at winning this game. That's that's just my opinion. Yeah, Jason Shelley's his completion percentage is only fifty three percent on the season. That includes the games that he played in relief of Tyler Huntley when they had big leads and such earlier in the season. So not as important of throws, but still. 53% completion percentage, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to be able to get some interceptions and maybe change the game. I just don't know what CU can do on offense. They haven't been able to do anything on offense since September, basically. So I, I just don't feel good enough with CU on offense to feel good about this game. Oh, absolutely not. And despite Utah's struggles offensively as well, or you know the, the fact that they have to play their backup at quarterback and running back, they have a very simple playbook, and you know they're ex- they're an explosive team. All they really need is a couple big plays, and they can win the game. You know what I mean? They don't have to they don't have to blow you out, and they typically play smart in terms of you know not making high risk throws, that type of thing. So, I, I think they have the advantage in that regard. In terms of score prediction, I don't think this is going to be that high scoring of a game, but I think Utah is going to benefit from having. I think the best kicker in the country, and Matt Gay, who's drilled five field goals of over 50 yards, five for six from that distance, definitely going to be an NFL kicker next year and has been great so far in this season. So I think they're good. once they get on the other side of the 50, they're probably going to take their foot off the gas, not be real aggressive in getting in the end zone the way CU's offense has performed. I'm, t- I'm going to take Utah. And I'm going to take them by a score of 29 to 20. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say 27 to 14 Utah. So we're, we're right around in that same boat. Double-digit win for Utah. Uh, like we, we kind of said, though, if CU is able to force some turnovers, that's always the, e- the great equalizer in college football. So we will see if they're able to do that on defense and kind of keep keep themselves into the game because I don't think the offense can win it for them. I'm expecting to see them stack the box and bring a lot of pressure 
to kind of try to keep Shelley off balance. For one, you can't you can't let Armand Shine have the type of game he had against Oregon. You can't have him running for you know a million yards, getting two or three touchdowns. You have to make Shelley beat you through the air. That's where I'm at. You can't. You have to force him to do that. But um, do you really trust these corners, especially considering they're going to be down Delrick Abrams, who's arguably their best cornerback right now? Do you trust them against Britton Covey, Samson Nakoa? I mean, they have they have some weapons at the wide receiver position. I I don't think you can trust them from what we've seen so far this year. It, it'll be Mecky Blackman for sure, and then either Dante Wigley or Trey Dofia, probably a rotation of the two because they don't really trust either of them out there. So they, they'll both have a very short leash. And we will see. Dante Wigley actually played pretty well this past weekend, I thought, when he, he played great when he got a shot. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was shadowing Desmond Patman, who's one of the better receivers in the conference, and he, he fared pretty well. I mean, there were a couple plays he got away. but And they tried to pick on him quite a bit, and Wigley ended up making the play on the ball or something like that. So if Dante Wigley could step his game up, to what we what we saw this past week, then yeah, I could kind of see it because I think Mackie Blackman's going to be a really good player. So with the both of them, they might be able to do it. But I, these Utah receivers are very good. And despite having Evan Worthington out, I think that's probably hurt them a little bit, having that veteran leadership around and a guy who's played in a bunch of games. I think their safeties have done a great job in his absence. Darion Rakestraw really stepped up, looked great the past two weeks. Nick Fisher, he's had some struggles with tackling and whatnot, but, you know, he's always going to be a middle-of-the-mill type player. You know what I mean? He's never going to wow you. And with the young guys, we're trying to gauge where they're at. You know what I mean? Fisher, you know what you're going to get. He's He played decent. Rakestraw played great. I think Aaron Maddox, who got his first significant playing time last week, also had a pretty darn good game. He had nine tackles. Obviously, he had a costly penalty later in the game, a unsportsmanlike one. I don't really think it cost them that much. And he assured the media it won't happen again after the game. But... I think that. What did you think of that? Did you think it was a good call? I thought it was a good call because he, uh, on the play, he clearly stood over the guy and, you know, was jarring a little bit. Yeah, and I, th- I think if he doesn't stare at him, <coughs> then you don't have to call it because then, it, then it's just a flex, but he was kind of yeah. looking over him and flexing at the same time. Yeah. And that's when I think you got to it. It's a tough call, though, because he's, he's a guy who plays with a lot of intensity out there, and he's clearly a good guy. He wasn't, you know, intending to taunt anyone. I think in that situation, it's just one case where a young player's emotions got the best of him, you know, and I don't right. think it will happen again. But, yeah, it's it's a very good sign for the 2019 buffs that both Rakestraw and Aaron Maddox have looked really good in, in their playing time relieving at Evan Worthington. I think they're both going to be very good football players next year, and they're going to need to because they'll both be seniors, barring a Rakestraw redshirt, I, I believe he still has. And actually Maddox might have a redshirt too, but yeah. um, they Rakestraw w- is a redshirt junior, so a redshirt sophomore, so he's two years left. Oh, okay. Okay, then, yeah, we'll see him for the next two years. But Aaron Maddox is going to be a very good football player, even though they're only going to get get him for one year. And it has to be reassuring for fans when you see the coaching staff literally and figuratively go out of their way to get Maddox and Rakestraw on the field. I mean, there's some times where they employ a four-safety set with Kyle Trago on there, too. I mean, they're, doing, they're really trying to get Maddox and Rakestraw on the, 
And I think it's nice that they're going to be getting a lot of reps now so that when they come in for fall camp, I mean, they'll be ready to go as starters. I can't wait to see what they do in the future. I think it's very bright for those two guys. Yeah, and safety depth was the big question mark. One of the big question marks on defense going into this year. And it seems like that question has kind of been answered with the emergence of Rake Straw and Maddox. So it's very good for next year with two senior safeties leaving. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's going to be exciting to even just watch them play the next two weeks. Anyway, shifting gears from the gridiron to the hardwood, Buffs had a huge win on opening night. The men's basketball team defeated Drake, the Drake Bulldogs. We heard a lot of Drake in the arena. Was that a, was that a trend? Basically, only Drake. Every so every in, commercial in break in the arena, when you know we're at the place uh, at the event center, there's always some sort of weird thing they're trying to do. I mean, Chase and I typically we're working or we're you know having a conversation or something like that we're not always paying attention. Every time I looked up, they were playing, you know, it was like name this Drake tune. They were playing it. They were having a dance contest. I mean, I don't remember what it was. Some <laughs> fans in the stands having a dance off to a Drake song. I mean, was it just because Drake was in the house or was is, is he becoming increasingly popular in Boulder? It, it had to have been a Drake thing, but I was going to say I didn't even have to look up because I was sitting next to you and you would just start singing it all of a sudden. And yeah, Jack, I am a Drake Jack Stern fan. knows every word to almost every Drake song, so... I was pretty impressed with that, but I didn't even have to look up. I would just hear, hear Jack either singing or dancing to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Drake fan, and I had a friend uh, working as one of the camera operators, so he was trying to get me on the Jumbotron. I mean, like I said, typically I'm you know, working on stuff during the commercial break, so I'm not you know, really in tune to what's happening. But nonetheless, it was kind of a strange occurrence, considering they were playing songs that came out when we were like five years ago when we were in middle school. It was a little bit weird, but... In terms of what happened in the game, great performance by the offense. Their highest point total in an opening game since 1990 when they put up 113 points against Cal State Northridge. All offseason long, there was a concern about who was going to act as McKinley Wright's wingman, who was going to pick up the slack offensively, because this is a pretty good defensive, defensive team. You know, they were in the top four in the conference in total defense last year. I think they play hard on that side of the floor, but they really lacked in the scoring department. Name and right last night. Man, did he step up. 28 points, five of seven from beyond the three. He looked great. I loved how he was just cutting it loose, too. He was, he was playing very relaxed, and I think that's how, he, that's how he does well. He was on fire. And a very, con yeah, like you had said, a very confident name and right, a guy that we haven't, seen other than in practice at times um yet in his CU career so it was very good to see Naaman Wright uh feeling himself a little bit I think it's a good way to put it he was hitting everything and I, Coming I don't know off if the it, bench no, nonetheless which makes it even more impressive right which seemed to be a little bit of motivation for him I think he believes he's a starter as a senior so he I think that motivated him a little bit that he had to come off the bench and ended up uh being a real key scorer for this team, we will still see about the secondary score to McKinley Wright. I think it's still up in the air, which isn't necessarily a problem at this point. I just think they have so much depth that it doesn't really matter who's going to score. Someone's going to pick pick everybody up every single night. Yesterday, we didn't even see Deleon Brown or Deshaun Schwartz, and both of those guys can really score the basketball. So it'll be interesting I don't think that they really need a secondary scorer at this point. Yeah, I just think that they're going to, on a nightly basis, they might need someone who's going to 
if if you have the hot hand, you're going to be the guy for that night. Right. You know what I mean? You can't you can't be hesitant to shoot. You can't say, you know, I'm not a scorer. I'm not going to be as aggressive. I think if you're if, you know, Evan Batty, Shane Gatling, if someone if someone's shooting the ball well that night, they should they should keep feeding them, baby. Keep 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 feeding them. It doesn't always only have to be McKinley, right? I'm excited to see what Shane Gatling could do. Him and Evan Batty, I think they had a little bit first game jitters maybe. Mm -hmm. And we saw a little bit of that against Mines as well. This is obviously the first real game. But, yeah, and obviously Shane Gatling looked really good, especially in the first half, that block, and then that thunderous jam on the other He had two baskets, a block, and a steal in less than a minute. I mean, that's pretty impressive. And it got the whole team going. It got the whole crowd going. It was very important uh, few plays there for Shane Gatling. Even though it didn't show up that much on the score sheet, he had a huge impact on that game. Oh, definitely. I just I just hope he can knock down some more shots going forward because that's going to be huge for him. And he team. will. If you guys watch him warm up, here's something for you. If you go to a CU basketball game this year, show up like an hour early, 45 minutes early, and just watch Shane Gatling warm up because I could do it all day long. His shot is just so much fun to watch. And he tries a bunch of shots during warm-ups. We'll even try some dunks. I think he went between the legs yesterday during warm-ups for a dunk. So he is very fun to watch in warm-ups. And he's going to be a, a legit scorer for this team. I was mostly impressed with the bigs, though, last night. I thought Tyler Bay, even though he wasn't that great on the offensive end, played really well, especially on the defensive end. He got a career high in rebounds, 14 rebounds last night. Lucas Seward was 4 for 4 didn't take that many shots but didn't need to he's also two for two from the three I think he's a really good shooter we'll see if he has the post game and we'll see if he can play defense in the post against the better fives but I, th- I was really impressed with him yesterday and then Evan Batty and uh I'm trying to blank on it on his name oh, Alex Strat Alex Stratting yesterday looked really good as well so I think that these bigs can actually play even though they don't have a main guy down there. I think they got a good rotation of guys. Yeah, when Seawert pulled up for his first shot of the night, I heard groans. We sit where our area is in the arena for the press area. We sit right by the fans. I heard a bunch of groans behind me, and then I heard a breath of relief when he made it. You don't really see big men shoot, pull up and shoot the way he does. It's kind of strange, but, I mean, if it works, you got to keep doing it, in my opinion. That's an attribute that he brings to the table that not many people his size do, and they have to use that to his advantage because when you watched it, they, the defenders were not going out and defending the shot the way that a lot of guards are, you do. You know, With big men, they cut off the post, but from the outside and the perimeter, they don't defend it as aggressively, so I think he needs to keep shooting from those areas. And that'll open things for him down low once... Their defense worries about a shot. It opens up down low on the pick and roll and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see how his game kind of evolves this year. He's one of those guys that really needs to step up for this team, especially with Dallas Walton out. And I was impressed with him last night. Two guys that they were without yesterday, uh, Delion Brown. He was a coach's decision and will be out there suited up on Friday. And Deshaun Schwartz, who had a minor NCAA rule infraction. He played in some summer league game back in Colorado Springs or something like that. Right. You can play in, su- in summer league games from June 15 to August 1st, but he played in a game before that June 15th uh, date. How do people even find out about this? I. I don't know. Sometimes it's self-reported. That would have been a good question for Todd Boyle last night, but sometimes it's self-reported. Um, 
other times somebody else could have reported it that was at the game. I, I would think that's a little bit of a weird snitching situation. Yeah, definitely. And I, I would assume that it was most likely self-reported so it wouldn't hurt him down the line. Yeah, definitely. But I think having those two guys back is really going to help them out. I mean, Deleon Brown for most of last year was... For all intents and purposes, they're six man. I hope to see Naaman Wright starting in the near future because that'll mean he's being productive during his time out on the floor. Deshaun Schwartz, I think, is going to bring a little bit more aggressiveness to the table. You know what I mean? At least hopefully. One thing we talked about a lot last week was getting to the basket and getting to the free throw line and getting in the paint. Because that's really where you win basketball games, and I think that's what Deshaun Schwartz will bring to the table. I expect expect him to take a jump forward, and he's an excellent outside shooter too. So having so many sharpshooters from the outside is really what allows you to run the score up. Between him and Gatling, Schwartz shot over 38% from beyond the arc, which is Impressive to say the least as for, a fresh yeah, as a, a freshman. Fresh. So I only expect him to get better. I think those will be key components to the team especially once Pac-12 play starts. We might not see it as much now, but I want to see these guys and what they what they have to offer and how they've grown in the next few non-conference games. Yeah, I think Deshaun Schwartz will finish this season one of the better players on this team, probably top three. He, he's gotten so much bigger than he was last year. I think that'll help him so much more on the defensive end, guarding the bigger players. And then... I haven't seen much improvement because we haven't gotten to see him that much, but I'm sure his shot has gotten better, and he's also gotten better at driving to the hoop, which will be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, assistant coach Mike Rohn, when I talked to him earlier this week, said he was working a lot more with Deshaun on his shot technique and ways to finding creative ways to get to the hoop. You know what I mean? Coming off bubble screens or you know trying to open up an isolation that allows you to get down low because – he told me that he thinks that's really where Deshaun is going to thrive as a collegiate basketball player. Anyway, one more thing to talk about, and then we will let you go on this chilly Wednesday evening. I wish it was nice outside because then you, could, you guys could be doing something fun and productive, but it's not. There's still ice on the ground. Nonetheless, I think the bench is going to be what makes or breaks this team this year. You know, you can't leave the starting five out. You can't leave McKinley on the floor the entire game. And I think getting production off the bench is going to be huge for this team, especially considering you don't have a starting five. And on that note, I expect Tad Boyle to kind of spread the dearth of talent in a regard, you know, maybe kind of even it out a little bit so your second team has some attributes and some good players that your first team doesn't as well. Right. I think last night um, wasn't exactly what we're going to see from this team because two key players were missing. So we saw a lot more freshmen than we kind of expected. Eli Parquet and Dalen Koontz. Uh, I thought Dalen Koontz looked like he belonged. I thought he looked really good um, in his limited time there. He didn't shoot the ball that much. But he looks like a capable point guard to come in and spell McKinley, which they're kind of looking for. And I think he can score the basketball. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I think it's a question of how many guys do you have in that rotation. You know right. I mean, I th- I'd say probably about 10 because you have a sub for each position. I don't think you should throw an entire second team out there. But I do think, you know, you, you substitute McKinley and Naaman, and then later on you substitute out Seaworth. You know what I mean? You kind of mix and match. And having those units be able to play together and not just as a single group is, I think, going to be big as well. Right. I, and that's kind of what Tad has always done is kind of a rotating door of starters. So you're going to have to get used to playing with everybody. And I think they will do that. I think we'll really see the depth shine uh, in these next few weeks. We didn't see it as much yesterday, even though we did see some good players come off the bench. I, I just don't think 
that is exactly what Tad's rotation is going to be because he was missing Deshaun Schwartz and Deleon Brown. We have two huge sporting events coming up here in Boulder that are within 12 hours of each other, at least uh, in terms of ed time. The Buffs will take on the uh, Nebraska-Omaha team on Friday Mavericks. night. Mavericks at You're 7 o'clock. And then about 12 hours later, the football team will take on the Utah Utes at Folsom Field. It'll be an exciting weekend in the lead-up to Halloween, and especially after we're done with classes. The lead-up to you mean Thanksgiving? Thanks, not Halloween. What am I saying? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Um, We hope all of you out there listening have an excellent break, and we will be back with you a week from next Wednesday for Chase Hell. I'm Jack Stern. Peace.